any given moment, there are all kinds of stuff that you could be doing, but not all of the things that you could be doing are all that important. So I know I've told this story before, but it's such a great story. A couple of years ago, um, I am out fishing on the Sound in kayaks. And for some reason, I forgot to bring coffee with me. Well, I like to drink coffee in the morning. The world is just better when I've had coffee. And I look up and there on coming into my field of vision is a boat that I know is owned by Steve and Carla Lawson. And I'm like, I am quite sure that Carla Lawson will have coffee on that boat. So as they pass in front of us because they're trolling, I yell out, Carla, have you got any coffee on that boat? And she says, sure, come and get it. So I'm, you know, they're in a boat with a motor and I'm in a kayak. So I am pedaling as fast as I possibly can and I get close and I'm like, Steve, could you slow down a little bit? And Steve's like, no. So, all right, Steve is fishing. I respect that. So I'm pedaling as fast as I can and Carla's up there and she's got a coffee cup and she's leaning over to hand it to me. And I'm leaning forward, pedaling as fast as I can to grab that coffee cup. And just as she's about to hand it to me, she says, you know if we get a fish, you're not getting any coffee, right? And I'm like, I understand the priority. If Michael doesn't get his cup of coffee that morning, that's not that big of a deal. Steve and Carla miss a fish, that's a catastrophe. And I totally agree with that. Carla and Steve knew what was truly important at that moment. And what's truly important is what Jesus is talking about in the passage that we're going to look at this morning out of Matthew chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So this is a complicated passage, and there's a lot of drama here that isn't really super obvious. 
what's happening is the story is building. And that's one of the nice things about spending so much time in one gospel is we kind of see the story arc. Otherwise, we're tempted to just take it in little small pieces that we think stand independently. But the story is building. So Jesus has started his ministry. There's been healings, there's been miracles, lives have been changed. Jesus has developed a following. But Jesus came to do more than just teach people and heal their diseases. Jesus came to change the world. He came to right the things that have gone wrong, to break the power of sin and death by dying on the cross and being raised by the power of God on Easter. And all of that requires him to go to Jerusalem, to leave Galilee and go to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is the center of it all. It's the political center, it's the religious center, it's the center of the identity of God's people. And so this is pretty much the last story in Matthew's gospel before Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem. And that's going to take up the rest of the gospel. But Jerusalem has already taken notice of Jesus. And the powers that be in Jerusalem send a delegation of Pharisees and lawyers to come figure out who Jesus is. So this represents an escalation because Jesus has been challenged by people before. People have tried to discredit him or ignore him. But now there's this high-powered group from the establishment in Jerusalem that's come to talk to him. And it's very confrontational. The Pharisees are like, hey, Jesus, how come you don't care about what's right? And Jesus is like, what? What do you mean I don't care about what's right? And the Pharisees are like, well, your disciples don't wash their hands. And we're looking at this and we're thinking, what? That's your complaint? The disciples should wash their hands? That's all you've got? Well, let's think for a second about the Pharisees. Maybe you've never heard of them before. But the Pharisees are kind of like a political party. And if we made them an American political party, they'd be the party that was kind of right of center. They're pretty conservative, and they represent a traditional sort of viewpoint. A lot of us would have a lot in common with the Pharisees. I actually kind of like the Pharisees in a lot of ways. I think that they were very sincere people who were trying to please God. But the way that they went about it, I'm not always down with. It's really the Pharisees and people like them who come up with the 613 laws of Judaism. And those 613 laws of Judaism are an attempt to kind of put a hedge around the Ten Commandments. We know we're not supposed to break the Ten Commandments, and we don't want to do that by accident. So if we back things up and put enough barriers between us and the Ten Commandments, we will never actually break them. So they came up with 613 laws that would keep you from breaking the Ten Commandments. And so because of that, because of these laws that they set up, it's hard to exaggerate the significance of ritual purity for the Pharisees, hence the hand-washing thing. They wanted to worship God correctly, and God's people were supposed to be pure. So ritual purity is really, really important to the Pharisees. Well, here's the problem that doesn't really come across in an easy reading of the text. Jesus isn't that fussy. Jesus touches a leper who's unclean. He spends time with Gentiles who are unclean. He's been with people who are demon-possessed, and surprise, demons are unclean. He's healed a woman with physical ailments, which made her unclean. 
He's touched a dead body, which is unclean. So you could see how this could become a bone of contention between Jesus and the religious establishment, especially if the focal point of your religion is on not being unclean. But let's just stop for a second, because I think we could all make an argument for how we should set up a series of rules that would keep us from sinning and hurting other people. So let's think about this for a second. So you're married, and you want to stay married. So here's a list of really good rules. Don't sleep with anybody else. Don't put yourself in a compromising situation with anyone else. Don't flirt with other people. Don't stay out all hours of the night, even if you've told your spouse where you're going to be. Don't withhold information from your spouse. Don't have a separate cell phone that your spouse doesn't know about. Don't have a separate bank account that your spouse doesn't know about. And we can go on and on. Those are all really good rules. But here's the problem. You can do everything on that list and still be a terrible spouse. You can do all of those things and not love your husband or your wife and yet still feel righteous. I've never cheated on you. Therefore, I've kept the rules and I'm good. But the reality is you might have kept all of the rules, but your heart was never inclined towards your spouse. Or if it was at one time, it isn't any longer. Here's a better rule to follow if you want your marriage to be successful. Love your wife. Love your husband. If you do that, all of the other things will follow along and they'll be motivated by kindness and care, not obligation. And I don't know about you, but I can tell the difference between kindness and care and obligation. So it's the same thing here. So in this story, what we've got, what we've devolved to is keep all of the rules, all 613 of them, and you're good. But the problem is their hearts have never been changed. And that's what Jesus is addressing because that's the most important thing. Oh, and here's another piece of information. There is no law about hand washing in the Old Testament. The priests had to do it before they served in the temple, but it's not a law. It was a new idea that was gaining some popularity. And this group decided it was now going to be the litmus test for who was in and who was out. But Jesus turns it back on them. He says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So first of all, look at Jesus' language. He says, they say to him, why don't you care about the traditions of the elders? In other words, the way we do things, which wasn't even really a tradition yet. Jesus asks, why don't you care about God's commands as much as you care about your traditions. And then he gives a great example about how we try to find a workaround for something that we don't want to do. So the Ten Commandment is, uh, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother, which meant take care of them when they got old, make sure that they're not on the street, all, all sorts of things that decent people do. Well, money makes people crazy. And people figured out that they could spend all of their resources on their parents or not. And the way that they could get out of not taking care of their parents was they could dedicate their assets 
to God. And if they dedicated it to God, then it couldn't be used to take care of their parents. They're like, Mom, Dad, would help you, but we've dedicated our possessions to God. Only here is the coolest part of it. They still had use of it. So it is a win-win, well, not for mom and dad. But you see what Jesus is getting at here. The commandment of, of God is honor your father and mother, but you've found some workaround so that you don't actually have to do it. You've developed a tradition, it's called the law of Corbin, where if you devote it to God, then you don't have to use it. And you've elevated your tradition to be higher than the command of God. And you're far more concerned about the fact that the disciples don't wash their hands before they eat than your parents are on the street. So... What's the point of application with this very complicated passage? What traditions are important to us that we're willing to make a big deal about? And sometimes that's a hard question, particularly when it's a heart issue or when it's something we've done since we first knew Jesus or something that's just become deeply ingrained in us, like worship styles. Worship to me, I would love it if our church looked like a Gothic cathedral. I would love it if it had those acoustics, if everything was built out of uh, stone. I would love if we had stained glass windows. I would love everything about that type of, of worship atmosphere. I would love liturgy. I like form. I like function. And if it had moments of spontaneity, that would be even better. One of my very favorite churches in my entire life is I used to attend Christ Church in Jerusalem. And it's an Anglican church. They had all of the Anglican, Anglican liturgy. And then in the middle, they stopped and they brought out guitars and drums and they sang worship songs. I was in heaven. I just think that is the perfect way to worship. But that's actually just my preference. I mean, I can worship in a lot of different ways, but if I had free reign, would be tearing this building down, putting up a Gothic cathedral. But it's just how I do things. It's not the gospel. We get into trouble when our preferences take precedence over the gospel. Like, for instance, I don't know too many churches that have angst over not being effective enough at reaching people for Christ. I know a lot of churches that have angst over the need to change because they've always done something a certain way. So Jesus puts his finger on the problem when he says, You hypocrites, you are honoring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So in their hearts, charitable assumptions, I'm sure they really wanted to love God. But the things they cared about most were actually just window dressing. They weren't being obedient to God. They were just paying lip service to it. And probably, most likely, had convinced themselves that they were in the right. But Jesus keeps coming back to, it's not about a list of rules. It's about having a changed heart. It's about loving God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. And then that leads to changed behavior, like being kind and gracious and loving. It's still not really about a whole lot of social and behavioral issues. It's about posture. God's preference is that our hearts are for him. Hear the contrast between these two passages. In Amos, God says about his people's religiosity, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. 
Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice offerings of fellowship, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Contrast that with Joel, where Joel says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. It's about the heart. Hearts that have been changed by Jesus result in changed behavior. And this is so important that Jesus calls the crowds to him. He's been talking to the Pharisees and the lawyers. He calls the crowds and says, listen, this is really important. I want you to get this. So if Jesus goes to that trouble, maybe we should flag it too. And essentially what Jesus says is, let me explain the digestive system to you. Now, oddly enough, last week just on my YouTube feed thing popped up an animation of what happens in your digestive tract from when you eat it to, well, you get the idea. But I'm not going to be showing you that. But that's where Jesus goes. And basically what Jesus says is, the stuff that you put in your body, it doesn't stay with you all that long. But there are things that stay with you. There are things that are deeply embedded within you. And that's where the problem is. It's not the stuff outside of you. It's the stuff inside of you. And if you're focused on what you eat so that you won't sin, you're missing the point. Sin is already deeply ingrained within us. The enemy is within. And so what Jesus wants to do is to save us from our sins, not from the sin that's out there in the world. And that's the way that the good news of the gospel works. Individual people's lives are changed. And then communities are changed by individual people whose lives have been changed. And then the world gets changed by the community of God that results in people's hearts are changed. And this is going to be important to understand. Because Jesus doesn't want the community that he's developing to be hermetically sealed. We're not supposed to be safely tucked away from sinners and from a world in need. Jesus sends his followers out. And when you get sent out, you're going to come into contact with all kinds of stuff. But the stuff outside of you doesn't defile you. That doesn't mean do whatever you want to. There are some things that I don't necessarily want to see or hear. But I see and hear them during the course of the day. That's just life in the big city. Those things may not edify me, but they don't defile me. What defiles me is when I choose to talk badly about someone, or when I choose to be angry, or when I choose to cheat, or when I choose to look spiritual, but I'm not really. That's what defiles me, because that shows the reality of what's really inside of me. It's what comes out in what you say and what you do that defiles you because that's what shows what's truly inside you. And we know this, because sometimes we say things like, I can't believe I said that, or where in the world did that come from? And it just reminds me that I need a savior. So Jesus is trying to get people to focus on what's really important. And it will always be easier to focus on rules instead of real change. And that's part of what Jesus talked about last week when he said his yoke was easy, his burden was light, is he was looking forward to people who want to put heavy yokes on you, who want you to follow this whole list of rules. 
Now, in this text, on a practical level, the food laws that they were talking about just kept becoming a thorn in the side of the church. It became a, a barrier to Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. Most of Paul's epistles have something to do with how the church is divided between people based on the 613 laws. It becomes one of the biggest issues in the New Testament. Now, why does that matter for us? I think it matters for us because if we don't focus on what's important, we'll focus on things that aren't that important. If we lose sight of what the gospel really is about, that we're all sinners saved by the grace of God, called to walk humbly in the Jesus way, and if we begin to substitute our traditions, teachings that we like, our preferences, we'll drive people away. Not because they find Jesus or the cross offensive, but because they find us offensive. And we'll try to keep all of these rules and we'll never really experience the freedom of loving and following Jesus. In this next year, there are going to be all sorts of things thrown at you. The most important thing is what you think about this. The most important thing is whether you do this or not. The most important thing is that you vote like this. The most important thing is that you feel this way about this issue. But in reality, the most important thing is that Jesus has changed your heart and everything else will flow out of that. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, if you had to make a list of the top three things Jesus followers should do, what would be on your list? Number two, what is a preference in your life that you have made too important? And number three, are you leading the people around you toward Jesus or toward something else? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.